Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today, you will be listening to Jermaine Gale, pastor of the East Lansing University and Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Churches. And now, here's Pastor Jermaine. Happy Sabbath. Let us pray as we talk about living in the truth. Father, we come before you in humility and with all thankfulness and gratitude on our lips because you are good. You've always been good to us. And Father, we are here now hungering and thirsting for truth. We pray, Lord, that you may speak to us. You may speak to me who often gets the message twice. Father, I pray that you may not allow us to leave this place the same, but that you may change our lives, is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Living in the truth. I have a map that I need to explain to you this morning. The map is a map that captures the journey of a woman by the name of Lillian Alling. In the spring of 1927, Lillian became very homesick. She was living in New York, and she became very homesick. By some accounts, she had traveled as an immigrant to the United States to find work, and time passed, and she really missed her family back in Russia. What's surprising about Lillian is that as a worker, she was only earning about $7 a week. $7 a week. She was really homesick. Living in New York just wasn't cutting it for her. She really wanted to be back with her family in Russia. She realized that she could not pay the fare. The journey would cost too much, earning only $7 a week. And that, imagine being stretched to cover expenses that she had to take care of. She decided that this feeling of homesickness was too strong, and so she refused to stay in New York. So Lillian Alling decided to walk home from New York to Russia, 12,000 miles. Took her three years to get home, but she walked. It is very surprising to see this girl walking 12,000 miles, and I say surprising to see as if I was there. I was not there, but it is surprising to read her story. She traveled through Chicago, Winnipeg, Canada, British Columbia, with a backpack and an iron rod in her hand for protection, with only $20 in her pocket. She walked home, arriving in Nome, which was about halfway on this epic journey in 1929, 
She started in 1927 and arrived in Nome, 1929. Lillian Alling walked home. An epic journey. It took three years. Are you homesick? I'm not talking about going, in my case, to Jamaica, which I would strongly recommend that we all go to Jamaica this time of year. Are you homesick, though, for a better country, a better home, heaven? And this Christian journey is as epic as Lillian Allen. When I look at this picture, this epic story, I can see the Christian experience. We have to brave the journey, the harsh temperatures, the frigid temperatures of the world around us. We have to walk day by day with our Lord on our way home. And while we may not be able to pay the expenses, we are thankful that Jesus made a way so that we can walk home. Amen. We're thankful that we can walk in his footsteps. And we are thankful that we can walk in the footsteps of others who have traveled this road. We are encouraged as we try to find our way home. Today, I think back at the beginning of our walk. Our church started in 1957 by a group of college students attending Michigan State University. They had a passion. They loved the Lord, and they decided with as much determination as you would find in Lillian Alling, they determined that they wanted to start something. So from a student group to a branch Sabbath school, then to a local congregation, just a group of students at Michigan State. There are students in our midst today, and I think of you, Rachel. There are other students here, and I met you this morning, Nate. And I'm very thankful that you're here. Our church is a light in this community. And it is a blessing to be placed beside Michigan State University, our mission field. And yes, in 1957, a group of students decided that they wanted to walk the journey, the long journey, to raise up a church. In 1975, our local church went through a flood. We were over in Highland Park, and I say we as if I was there. I was not. I just want you to remember that if I, uh, well, I can't do the calculations right now how old I would be if I was in 1957 or 1974. Nonetheless, you get the point. We were in Highland Park, and there was a flood. The Grand River overflowed its banks. And one member wrote, just for record, so that we could quote today. The story is recalled. Several members returned after sundown to move things in the basement out of danger. This is after Sabbath. Members came and moved everything. The piano was wrapped in plastic and put upon blocks. A deacon and his wife spent the night in the church to keep track of the rising water. Sacrifices at the beginning of this journey. Sacrifices are made even today. Just imagine a deacon and his wife spending the night in the church to ensure that the water didn't come inside, to make sure to keep track of the rising water. The next morning, the other deacons were called, and sandbags were piled at the top of the outside basement stairwell at the back of the church. The flood water came up 
to the sandbags, but rose no further. Only a few inches of water leaked in the church. I have a picture of what that flood looked like. This was the flood of 1975. But for some reason, God preserved our church. As they're all on this long walk home, God preserved this local church. Do you realize that we are standing, sitting, experiencing today a blessing that God has provided for all of us through the journey of our pioneers? I am so thankful every single time I walk through the doors into this local church, I think back to their journey. And I say with renewed determination and vigor that I want to do the best that I can to continue moving forward as a church, as an individual. And all of us together should keep that in mind. There should be no doubt in your mind when you sit here in the university church that God has been leading this church. God has preserved this church through many different experiences. There was a literal flood. Another member wrote, after University Church celebrated 50 years, this member wrote, the University Seventh-day Adventist Church in East Lansing will always remember how God has blessed and guided us these past 50 years. Always remember how God has blessed us these past 50 years. This church can only be successful, the member wrote, as we continue to work together in one accord, asking God's guidance and thanking Him for His many blessings. Are you thankful for God's many blessings? Are you thankful to be a part of this church community? And are you thankful for God's guidance? He has been guiding this church. This was at the 50-year mark, and I did the calculations. We are now 71 years old as a church family. 71 years we've been on this journey. Hopefully, my calculations are right. There are still charter members among us, and so I imagine that they still see the transition, the changes, the transformations that have taken place over the years. God has blessed this church. Can someone say amen? God has been preserving this church. And I look at John as he's writing the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I imagine him to be a charter member because the church he is writing to was a church that he was a part of raising up. And he imagines, he looks, he considers, and he writes with determination and intentionality, encouraging, wanting to make sure that the church still continues on the beaten path. Today, I want you to consider John as a charter member, not just a charter member of the church in Ephesus or all the other churches in Asia Minor, but a charter member of the university church. Look at him as that. Because his message is as relevant to us as it was to them. John, we reach right way back to this, the life of this beloved disciple of Jesus. And like our charter members, he too was used to raising up churches. Now an old man, John wrote three letters. 
First John, this was addressed to the church. General terms, I should say. Then he wrote Second John. This was addressed to a family. And then Third John addressed to an individual. It is true that the makeup of the church starts with individuals, followed by families, and then we all gather here collectively. So there's a message for all of us. See, our worship of God does not only begin here in this building. It starts at home, in our family circles. I read a poem recently that mentioned that we tend to hurt those we are closest to. And it ought not to be that way. So today, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. And as a church family, as we move together on this journey, I pray that you may cling to the Lord Jesus Christ. John, we read in 2 John chapter 1, it only has one chapter. We read here, John in 2 John, addressing the family, addressing this lady. We don't know her name, but praise God, there's a letter written to her. 2 John chapter 1, verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. John was not afraid to use his seniority. He introduces himself as the elder. He's been around for a while. As a charter member, he did not walk away from stating where he was. He used his seniority in a meaningful way, not selfishly. John, we know, was often punished for his faithfulness to Jesus. He never used his membership as a cause to seek the best spots, but rather as a tool to help the church stay on the right path. And so he writes, John the Elder. As a charter member, his happiness did not come from any special seating. His happiness did not come from the final financial condition of the church. His happiness did not come from the opportunities given to the church in the world. His happiness came from this. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. And then he says in verse 4, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in the truth as we received commandment from the Father. His primary concern for the church is whether the church was still walking in the truth or not. And I would say that if John were to look at you and I today, and if a letter was addressed to you and I today, the same would be true. I am happiest when you are walking in the truth. I have had the privilege to sit down with members who have been here for a while. And it all comes back when I ask questions about their experience. And they paint vivid pictures of what this church was like. And today they still 
remember the days when we used to have potlucks in homes and when we used to gather together and we used to celebrate the many blessings that God has provided. Oh, I tell you, we have a beautiful and amazing and a wonderful church family. And you ought to say amen to that. Friends, please take advantage of talking with those who are older than us. We learn so much from them. I have made it a practice in my younger years to make sure that I spend time with those who have traveled the path before me so I can learn from them. I love to learn. This beloved disciple had one thing on his mind. His joy is only complete when he recognizes that his children are walking in the truth. 71 years later, University Church, are we walking in the truth? Friends, are we walking in the truth today? It is not how long we live in this world that matters, but whether we live in the truth in this world. The John truth was to be maintained, lived out for all generations. If John was a charter member of this church, he would say, I was glad when I saw Auntie Zoe. I was glad when I saw Sister Brooks or when I saw Rachel. Wyson, Richard, walking in the truth. It was my supreme joy when I met a member of the university church, when I saw that they lived the truth, not just talk about it, but actually lived it. And now, 2 John, he goes in, verse 5, writing to this family, to this lady, and now I plead with you, lady, Not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning. What is this commandment? That you love one another. That you love one another. He takes this refrain all throughout his writing in 1 John and 2 and 3 John. In an age where deception runs high and conspiracy theories dominate, an age where people are being led astray, John is saying, walk in the truth. In an age when it is hard to trust the information coming our way, and the many sources are hard to believe, whether it be on television or media, including social platforms, John is saying, walk in the truth. In a world where it is hard to tell the Christian apart from the secularist, John is saying, walk in the truth. The truth, there ought to be a big difference in our church. There ought to be a big difference in yours and my life. When the world is characterized by anger, our lives should be characterized by peace. When the world is full of hate, our lives should be overflowing with love. When the world reveals this unity and division, yours and my life, should contribute to the unification of the body of Christ. John is saying, walk in the truth. It is very clear that John was concerned, as would a charter member, about the condition of the church in a sin-sick world. His concern dominates all three letters. And today I want to read just a few verses so that you can understand the thrust of his message. 1 John chapter 1, 
verses 6 and 7. John says this, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I want to tell you today that no one knows how to do fellowship like University Church. I miss our potlucks. Friends, walk in truth. For only then our fellowship will be sweeter. Walk in truth. First John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, And the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Let me read it for you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what fellowshipping with Jesus brings. Cleansing. You're different, transformed, renewed as a result of our connection with him. Then John goes on. In chapter 2 and verse 9. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 11. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The one way to blind yourself is to choose not to love others. As a Christian, you cannot afford to walk blind. And John is saying that if you really want to see, learn to love others. You cannot see where you're going unless you love. First John chapter 3 and verse 15 Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This is very strong. John is saying that love must be the prominent factor in all of our lives. Then in verse 16, he says, by this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, speaking of Jesus. And every time I talk about the Lord, I get excited because this is love. There is no greater love than this. He laid down his life, not just for his friends, but for his enemies. Oh, such great love. And I tell you, as we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There is a John 3.16 for you and I too. First John 3.16 is a reflection of that verse. By this we know, love, because he laid down his life for us, starting with Jesus. And we also, our John 3.16, ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's love. That's love. John is speaking as a charter member, and he's thinking, well, you know, I want to make sure that the church understands that in a world that is full of chaos, that within its walls, love must dominate. 
1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Verse 18, John goes on, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. Love must be more than just words. Then he goes on, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. You see, friends, if we don't have love, we testify to the world that we don't know he who is love. So John is writing very strongly about this idea of love. First John, he goes on, First John chapter 4 and verse 8, He who does not love, does not know God, for God is love. Verse 11, he repeats, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God, in chapter 4, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not love his brother. Whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? I strongly believe that John wrote this book with Ephesus in mind. Because this was the church that struggled with love. I believe that if Ephesus had loved, he would not have gotten to Laodicea. So friends, I want to take your minds back to what John is saying. Out of concern as a charter member, he wanted to remind the church, let love continue. Don't let it wane. No matter what goes on in the world, let love continue. Did you get his message? It is very simple. It's repeated over and over, yet in some measure complicated. Love one another. If this letter was written to the university church 71 years after it was started, the message would come down ringing in our ears. Do not forget to love one another. John says someone who walks in the truth is someone who loves others. If you call yourself a Christian and hate others, you are lying. You're not really a Christian. Beloved, don't feel condemned, however, because John's intention is to encourage. Be encouraged. For this impossibility of loving others is made possible by Christ who loves most. Oh, friends, I tell you, there are some times where you stumble upon people who are unlovable, it seems. Hard to love. May I be honest with you? Oh, sometimes it's a struggle. And you know it's hard. You might say, hey, you know what? I think you're cool. Sometimes it's a struggle. But the impossible becomes possible. Because through Christ, I can do all things. Can someone say amen? Through Christ, 
I can do all things because through Christ who loves me, I can love others, even the unlovable. Oh, Jesus has said to us, love your enemies. Why? Because he knows that he who is happiest is the one who loves the most. The one who even loves his enemies. And we need not be hopeless, for others have charted this course before. They have walked this journey of love. They have traveled the distance, and yes, sometimes it's hard, but they have pushed through. And their love shines through as an example to us today. We read a demonstration of this love in 3 John in the name of the individual. And thank you, Miranda, for reading our text. This man's name is Gaius. Gaius is my guy. He would have been a member here. I would have liked to talk to him. He was a leader, and John uses him as a practical example of this love for others. There are two examples in 3 John. A good example, which we find in the life of Gaius, and a bad example in the life of Diotrephus. We'll start with a bad example. 3 John chapter 1 and verse 9. I wrote to the church, he says, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. This bad example of love. John wrote to the church and he refused. He refused to honor the letter. He stood in the way. And the reason why he stood in the way was that he loved to be prominent. He loved to be first. Wanting to stay ahead. He was overly ambitious. The problem with Diotrephus was that he loved being first. And as long as you love being first, you cannot love others. If you are the most prominent in your life, it's going to be hard to love others. There's not enough room when selfishness abides in the soul to love others. You see, there are many people who love being first. We are taught, by the way, culturally to be prominent. We are taught culturally to be first. And everything is a competition. So we have to fight against the current that seems to pull us that direction. We must put ourselves aside and like Jesus did, wrap himself in the towel and wash the disciples' feet. That is love. There are people who don't deserve love. In this sense, let me explain what I mean by that. Unless you say, Pastor, just told us don't love everyone because some people just don't deserve it. But how many times have you felt like you just don't deserve to be loved by God? There are people today who don't feel deserving of yours and my love. When they experience it and receive it, it changes them. Oh, friends, I tell you, I'm happy that God loves me. Where would I be if it wasn't for his love? And I'm happy that you love me too. Amen. Wink, wink, hopefully. All right. Praise God. Amen. And friends, I tell you, it's encouraging. I feel the love as Ali and I are in this transition. I can't tell you how many people who have, you know, called us up and said, hey, you guys, okay, is there anything you need? And we just feel surrounded by a wonderful group of people. And I pray, too, that you also feel that I love you. 
That was hard for me to say several years ago. It was hard for me to say the words, I love you, to anyone. Because I just didn't grow up hearing those words. But now I say it freely, with deep meaning. And now I experience it. And I've been taught, transformed, changed to the point where it's not hard to express those words with meaning. God is love. John, 3 John chapter 1 and verse 10, again, diatrephus, a bad example. Therefore, if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. This is diatrephus. This is his example. Not only was he prating malicious words against the disciples, meaning he gossiped, he ran behind John's back and tried to prevent the gospel from going forward. He also refused those who cited or those who wanted to hear John. And not only did he ask them or forbade them, he also put them out of the church. This was his example. And then John says, Beloved, as if now back to Gaius, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Don't be a diatrephus, in other words. Don't be that. Diatrephus was a man working against the disciples of Jesus with malicious words. We don't know what he said exactly, but we do know that he did a lot of damage. When individuals spoke in favor of the disciples, the brethren, Diotrephus, forbade them, putting them out of the church. Hating others does not always have to do with hostility. It can be manifested in apathy, lack of care, lack of concern, and lack of tact. As Christians, we should practice tact and care for each other. Amen? I read an article the other day, some research that was done by the National Institute of Health that stated how we are unhealthy by our social interactions and how our social interactions damage our health. You see, when we treat people bad, according to this article, it does not only affect their health, it also affects ours. It not only affects them, it affects our health. When you fail to live the truth of loving others, you slowly, you slowly, slowly die on the inside. And so, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health, was written intentionally to encourage Gaius. In marriages, for example, this article went on, poor marital quality has been associated with compromised immune and endocrine function and depression. Marital strain erodes physical health, and the negative effect of marital strain on health becomes greater with advancing age. So if you're married, planning on getting married, praying to be married, consider that you need to start loving now. Love others. Not in that way, but love is needed. 
When you don't have a good marriage, it compromises your immune system. This article went on to suggest that this phenomenon is not only confined to marriages, but social and religious circles. In church, people suffer because of how they're treated. There are a lot of people who have been damaged in church because someone gossiped about them. There are a lot of people who are damaged because someone approached them without tact and care. There are people who are damaged because of lack of care and concern. So John understands how being treated affects how we feel and how healthy we are. So what I'm praying for, if you'll join me and remember pastor's prayer requests, when you pray for me, remember my request. I am praying for a healthy church that demonstrates love for others. I read somewhere else that we damage our health when we mistreat others, but in addition, we damage our health when we pretend to be someone or something that we're not. And sometimes we do this out of a need or desire to be loved and appreciated, but pretending doesn't really help you. Dishonest living is costly, so live in the truth. Now, this doesn't have to do with stealing and that and so on, and I've been practicing living in the truth this week. I'll tell you what that looks like. For example, you're expected to be somewhere and you show up late. You think of all the reasons why you were late and you know that you showed up late because you were chilling for too long. You were scrolling on Instagram or Facebook or watching the television. You know that you're late because you got distracted. But then you show up and you're late. Now, you don't want to say, it was my phone or it was the TV. And so instead you said it was the traffic. The traffic light kind of held me a little bit longer this time. That's not living the truth. In one way, someone invites you somewhere, another example, and you know that you don't want to go. But you either make something up or oblige yourself, even though deep down on the inside you don't want to go. And this is not being honest. It has an impact on your health because it makes you more stressed than anything else, according to this article. So they say, they recommend, if someone asks you to go somewhere, you don't want to go, just be kind, nicely say, maybe not today, I just can't, I'm really sorry. Rather than just, you know, I kind of don't want to go, but you know, I don't want to offend them, so let me go. Anyway, I digress. John, 3 John, chapter 1, and verse 5. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Speaking of Gaius again, the difference with Gaius was that everything he did He did faithfully. When we are unfaithful, not only in the things we say, or but when we are unfaithful in how we practice our faith, we live dishonest lives. We are one way in church and another way in public. We are one way in church and another way in the workplace. 
We are kind, sweet. Sabbath morning, happy Sabbath. So good to see you. But then we get home, and we're grumpy, and angry, and all of these things. Those are not good. He was faithful in everything he did. He faithfully served in his local church as well as in his business practice. When Daniel was found during his time in Medo-Persia, one of the things that they did was that they searched all throughout Daniel's life to find out if he was faithful in his living. Then they couldn't find anything, so they went searching in his faith. Did you know that oftentimes the first place people look to see whether you and I are faithful or not, our church, not whether we attend church or not, but how we practice our business, how we conduct our lives outside of these walls. So I want to encourage you, be faithful like Gaius. He was a faithful leader in the church, but he was also faithful outside. He was consistent in his Christianity. He loved everywhere and he loved everyone. His love was not confined to churches. He loved strangers too. There was love at home. And he didn't just love at home. He loved at work also. And he loved wherever he went. Verse 6 of 3 John. Telling of the experience of Gaius who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. In other words, others saw how Gaius loved. It was manifested. People were bearing witness of it. The very people that Gaius cared for bore witness of his love. This is why this man was loved by John. Beloved, whom I love in the truth. I pray that you may prosper in all things and being helped as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. And then verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Another way of putting it, living in truth. From a charter member to a younger one, from the man who has walked the path to one who is now walking, from a pioneer to a visionary, my prayer is that you may prosper in all things, John says. This prosperity may not be confined to material things, but touches the deeper concerns, that you may prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. I wish that you may prosper spiritually as well as physically. I have no greater joy. John says that my children are walking in the truth. Another translation puts it, nothing brings me greater joy nowadays than hearing that my children are living in the truth. And it ought to be true. It ought to be said of us that nothing brings greater joy nowadays than to know and hear that each member of the university church is walking and living in the truth. These days when things are so depressing, I encourage you to pitch your tent where truth lies. Live there. Walk away from the type of living that the world prescribes and let us walk in truth, the truth which means to love one another. Let it be said of us, years later, that we are still walking in the truth, 
that we're always, our church always characterized by love for the brethren, whoever and wherever they are. Let it be said of us that this day we all walk in Christ's commandment, that we love one another regardless of our differences. Let us not allow anything to come between us in the year 2021. Let us lay aside everything and let us love fully and let us forgive wholeheartedly. Ellen and James White, in closing, had a practice in their home. Every Friday night, before the sun would set, the family would gather around the table. Before worship, they would have a conversation. The conversation would go something like this before they prayed. Edson would start. He would chime in. Willie, I am very sorry that I called you names. Willie, will you please forgive me? Willie would then say, Edson, I forgive you. Edson would then say, Willie, would you please forgive me for pushing you today? Edson would reply, I forgive you, Willie. Then would come James. He would say, honey, will you forgive me for what I said today when I lost my temper? And yes, James White lost his temper. And Ellen White was witty. She was funny. And around the family altar, they would all apologize to each other before the sun went down. And their Sabbath worship was sweeter because each person was reconciled to the other. Friends, today, I want to say to you, let it be so with us. Let it be so with us. I want to tell you that if I have done anything to hurt you, I would really appreciate you coming to me and having us talk it through and praying together and give me the opportunity to say, I am sorry. And I pray that when you go home, you may do the same. You're not talking with your spouse or something is happening. Please forgive and love one another. If someone has hurt you in this church, I pray and encourage you to have a conversation with them. And if you've hurt someone, listen carefully and pray and ask the Lord to give you the right words to say. And sometimes the right words are very simple. I am very sorry. Nothing else needs to be said. I am very sorry. As children, if you've hurt your siblings, apologize. Follow Willie and Edson's example. And I guarantee it, you'll have a happy, happy home. And today, we will have a happy, happy church. Friends, the message is simple. In order to live in the truth, love one another. Love one another. You have been listening to Jermaine Gale, pastor of the East Lansing University and Lansing Spanish Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, 
Why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the East Lansing University Church at 504 Ann Street in East Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11.20 a.m. Or visit the Lansing Spanish Church located at 111 North Magnolia Avenue in Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. This program is a Strong Tower Radio production.